Have you ever felt like someone was following you around just waiting for an opportunity to get you? I have. I went to a school in the Army when I was stationed at Fort Campbell. And when we arrived at the school, there was a, one of the instructors who had some sort of a major character flaw. And the character flaw was revealed when he had a strong dislike for me for no apparent reason. And he told me one day, Ross, I'm going to get you today. You're going to mess up. When you do, I'm going to be right there. And he told me he was going to be on me like ugly on burnt orange. And so he was just watching and waiting. But he messed up by telling me that he was looking for me. Because I was pretty careful about most things anyway, but knowing Sergeant Hines was out to get me, it made me extra alert. And I'm proud to say that he never got me. Now, most of us have probably never been physically stalked. However, the Bible says that we have a spiritual stalker, if you will, an enemy that is out to get us. He's walking around. And he's looking for a moment of weakness in our lives to steal, to kill, to destroy. That being a Satan. That may sound extreme, but let me just take a minute and review some of what Scripture tells us about him. Scripture tells us that he is the God of this world who blinds the mind of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the truth of the gospel and being saved. He is a tempter. He is a roaring lion. That roams the earth seeking someone to devour. He does come to steal, to kill, and destroy. He is a murderer and a liar. He seeks to deceive the whole world. And he's on the earth with great wrath because he knows he has but a short time left. Now part of what we learn about Satan in this is counter to the cultural ideas about him. Now, for instance, Satan is not the ruler of hell. Hell is not his domain. He doesn't rule there and will not torment the people who end up in hell. Instead, hell is Satan's final prison where he himself will be tormented. But until that day, he roams the earth seeking to destroy as many souls and as many lives as he can. Knowing this should make us extra alert so that he doesn't get us and bring destruction into our families and to our lives. But sadly, many people are either unaware of the fact that they have an enemy who seeks their destruction, or they have ignored the truth that they have an enemy that seeks their destruction. And so they, they bear the wounds that come from what he has done in their lives. Some are emotionally wounded, and they live lives of discouragement, depression, and defeat. Others have had their marriages and their families wounded. Divorce, infidelity, constant conflict and abuse. Some of the wounds that they bear. Others have been morally wounded. They can't control their passions and so they continually make poor choices one right after the other. And I could list more casualties, but you get the idea. Since we have an enemy that seeks our destruction, we've got to know about this enemy. We've got to know how he works, what he does, and then what we can do about it. That's what we're going to talk about today. Open your Bible to the book of Genesis, chapter 3. It's page 4 in your pew Bibles. When you find that, I'm going to ask you to stand to honor the reading of God's Word. Genesis 3, verses 1 through 6 says, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. 
So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant for the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and she ate. She also gave to her husband with her and he ate. The title of the message this morning is Our Great Enemy. Heavenly Father, we love you today. You are great and awesome and worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion. Father, we look at a tough subject today. So, Father, we desperately need your Holy Spirit to come and to help us to be focused upon you. Father, help us not to put guardrails up to keep from receiving what you've shown us today. Help us, Lord, to have ears to hear and hearts that would obey. Father, let your word and your spirit work together to examine us today. For surely... Some in here are wounded. For surely some in here are deceived. Surely some in here have felt the enemy's hand on their lives and he has won some victories there. Father, we need to be made aware of those things. We need to be made aware of his lies and his distractions and his tricks. We need to know the truth that's found in Jesus Christ. We need to know That there is freedom available to us because of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And oh God, we need to turn to Jesus and experience that freedom so that we can be free indeed. Holy Spirit, come and anoint me the ability to preach your word and your ways for your glory. Give me clarity of thought, clarity of speech. Father, use this time to strengthen us, to help us, to encourage us, to draw us closer to Jesus than we've ever been before. We love you, Father. We ask all of this in the precious name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. You may be seated. Now, if you have been in church for any time at all, you're probably familiar with the Genesis story. God creates the earth. He makes it just basically perfect. He puts Adam and Eve in the garden to tend it. Their life is basically perfect. They have a near perfect communion with God. They have a God given purpose for their life. All of their needs are taken care of and things are just going along swimmingly until Satan comes upon the picture. Genesis three, it basically gives the answer why things are bad in our world. You know, Genesis one ends with God saying, That he looked at all that he had created and it was good. Indeed, it was very good. We seem to have come a long way from a world that is very good to a world that is filled with evil and hurt, sickness and disease. Why? Why is all of that here? Well, Genesis 3 gives us the answer to this. And everything went well until Satan, the form of a serpent, he comes on the scene to begin to to mess with Adam and Eve. See, Satan is in constant rebellion against God. And his one great desire is to thwart all of God's plans. And if we had time, and I had initially intended to do it this way, we could go through and look at all of the times where God planned something and Satan tried to thwart it in one way or another. But the reality is, Satan is not God's equal. He is not the the exact opposite of God. He is limited in so many ways. And he can't, in a direct force-on-force conflict, overpower God. The passage I read at the beginning showed that even Michael and the angels defeated them. So he has no, no power against God. But what he can do is he can thwart God's plans for God's people. See, because God desired something for Adam and Eve in the garden. The, the perfect nature of life up to this point was what God intended for them to always live. But Satan came along and notice that it says that, that it's more, he's more cunning. Right? Cunning means tricky, sly. And it made me think of something we looked at a couple of weeks ago from Second Corinthians. Right? We're warned that Satan might take advantage of us if we are ignorant of his devices. Now, devices... It it basically means mind games. 
right? It means the, the mental strategies that Satan has, but it's not just the ones that he thinks of, it's the way he, he messes with us. And again, I, I do want you to think of it as kind of mind games that he will play with us to distract us from God's will and God's want. I, I heard a guy talk about this, and, and he said, picture Satan kind of whispering in your ear as he plays his mind games. And, and I do want you to think about that. But because this is how he works. Very rarely is Satan going to just appear and manifest and attack us like he does on horror shows. Instead, what he's going to do is he's going to be cunning and he's going to use devices and he's going to play mind games and whisper deceit and lies and, and mischief in our ears to, to lead us astray. And all that he's doing in this is for one purpose. Satan plays mind games to thwart God's plans for my life. God has a, a will and a plan for you. And we'll talk about that in a minute. And Satan does not want you to live out God's plans for your life. He wants to play mind games with you. He wants to whisper in your ears and he wants to, to keep you. From fulfilling God's plans. And this is important. Right? Because Satan can't. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ today. Satan cannot stop you from living out God's plans for your life. He, he cannot physically. Come upon you. And prevent you. But he can trick you. And he can trick me. Till we won't do what God wants us to do. We won't live out the plans. That God has for it. So what are the mind games that Satan plays with us to keep us from living out God's plans for our lives. Well, Satan, first, he casts doubt on God's word. Satan comes to Eve and he said, has God indeed said? Now, that's significant because in chapter two, verse 16 and 17, it says, and the Lord God commanded the man, saying, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. From the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. So God had indeed said, and they knew, they knew for a fact that God had indeed said. And so Satan begins by just planting a seed of doubt, casting out, are you, are you sure? That's what he said. Are you sure that's what he meant? Now, that was a long time ago, Eve. Are you sure it's still in force today? Right? You see, Satan knew that if they doubted God's word, they wouldn't obey God's word. And if they don't obey God's word, they can't live out God's plans for their lives. And if they will doubt God's word, he will thwart God's plans for their lives. And so he plays that mind game. And he does that with us today, too. He, he does that with us. He'll say, has, has God said? Man, that was a long time ago. Are you sure that, that that's still true today? Right? What does, well, well are, does everybody in the world agree with that interpretation? And all of this is to cast doubt. Because if we doubt God's word, we won't obey God's word. And if we won't obey God's word, we won't live out God's plans for our lives. And so Satan plays his mind games with us to cast doubt on God's word, to thwart God's plans for our lives. Secondly, Satan contradicts God's word. The woman had said, we, we may freely eat, but this one we can't. And then look at verse four. The serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. And again, chapter two, verse 17, God clearly said they would die. For the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. You shall surely not die. He, he directly contradicts God's word. But he, and it's more than him saying God's word is wrong. In a lot of ways, what he's saying is, you can kind of do whatever you want to do, even there won't be any consequences. But God has said that if you keep his word... 
that this life and this blessing and all of this will happen. But if you disobey and if you eat that, there'll be consequences that will come into your life. And Satan said, no, there aren't consequences. Oh, Eve, just, just be happy. Just do what you want to do. You can live how you want and do what you want. God doesn't care. There are no consequences for your actions, Eve. See, he, he knew that if we, if Adam and Eve weren't certain of what God had said, if they felt life was without consequences and they didn't have to do what God had said, well, they wouldn't live out God's plan for their lives. Surely we can see that Satan does this in, in our world today as well. We, we live in a world where everyone believes their life can be free of consequences. Nothing is ever our fault anymore. There is a, a reason that can be explained, that can be given. And because of this reason, it's not my fault for anything that happens. My mom didn't hug me enough as a kid. My dad spanked me too many times. I had a kindergarten teacher that called me a name. Something happened. And because of that, it's not my fault. Live how you want. Do what you want as long as, long as you're happy. As long as your motives are pure. As long as you really believe that's what's right. You live how you want to live. You do what you want to do. There are no consequences in life. It's a mind game that Satan plays. To contradict God's word. Because if he contradicts it and we believe that lie, we won't live in the truth. And if we don't live in the truth, we can't live out God's plans for our lives. He's seeking to thwart God's plans for our lives. And then the third one is possibly the most devastating. I, I kind of think they built on one another. He casts this doubt of, on God's word. And then he just flat out contradicts it. And after casting that down and planting that seed and, and giving her this vision of a world where there are no consequences, he then begins to, to hit home with a victory. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. God is, is keeping you from something good. Look at that tree and look at what she does. She sees it. It's pleasant for good for food, pleasant to the eyes, desirable to make one wise. Everything about it is is good. And and God is trying to keep me from it. And it's not so much that Satan himself questioned God's goodness, but he planted a seed in her mind that made her question God's goodness is is God keeping me from something good? I mean, gosh, look at the tree. It, it, it is pretty. And I bet it tastes really good. And man, there are, all this stuff will happen if I eat it. It wasn't that God knew what was best. It wasn't that God loved them and was keeping them from harm. It, it wasn't that God had a plan. And his plan was better than her desires. It was a question about the goodness of God. Because if, if Adam and Eve doubted God's goodness, they wouldn't live out the plan he had for them. They would do their own thing. And the moment they did their own thing, then Satan had thwarted God's plans for their life. Well, hasn't Satan won a tremendous victory in our day? Most people tend to believe that Satan, that this lie is true, that, that, that all of God's commands, that they're all to keep us from something good, that, that God's desire is to squish our joy and our pleasures. So Satan comes and he plays the mind games. Why would God keep you from something that Brings you such joy. If God is so good, why is your daughter sick? And he, he 
just wants to plant that seed of doubt. And we'll question God's goodness because if we question God's goodness and we doubt His goodness, why would I live out God's plan for my life if His plan isn't good, if He isn't good? And if we believe that, Satan has thwarted God's plans for our lives. And what Satan did here, these three things, it's what he does today. Like I said, there's, there's not going to be a whole lot of just satanic appearance and horn-footed guy coming out to attack people with a pitchfork. That's more the stuff of myth and legend and movies than reality. Most of the opposition we will face from our great enemy is not going to be force on force, frontal assault on our lives. It's going to be cunning. It's going to be schemes. It's going to be tricks. It's going to be mind games that he plays with us. And if we fall for his mind games, then at every turn, in every situation, in all of life, he will thwart. God's plans for our lives. Now, God has definite plans for each and every person that has ever been born. And each and every person that ever will be born. So I just kind of want to show you some of what God's plans for our lives are. God plans for me to be saved. But there is not a person who has ever lived that could not be saved through faith in Jesus Christ. God's purpose for each person that lives is that we would be saved through faith in Jesus. Jesus said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Jesus came for the purpose of saving us. Paying the penalty that our sins deserved so that through faith in him, we could be freed from the wrath to come. And that's available to to all people who have ever lived. Satan doesn't want anyone to experience God's plans for their life. And so he plays his mind games. He he casts doubt on God's word. Are, Are you sure you can be saved? You've done some awful things in your life. What makes you think God would actually want you? He contradicts God's word. You don't need to be saved. You're basically a good person. I mean, why do you need someone to pay the penalty for your sins? You've basically lived a good life. You're better than a lot of Christians you know. He causes questions about God's goodness. If God is good, then why wouldn't everybody go to heaven? I mean, would a good God really send someone to hell? No. Are you sure? I mean, and if he would, is God really that good? It's his mind games. He's whispering in our ears to to keep us blinded from the gospel so that we would not believe in Jesus and be saved. And, And if we believe these mind games, we let them get into our head and come out in our lives. We, like Adam and Eve, we will rebel against God's plans. We will step outside of God's will for our lives and we will not experience God's best. And so Satan will thwart God's plans for our lives. Other plans that God has, God, God plans for me to be committed to his church. The Bible compares a a person who's been born again, newly born again, to being a babe in Christ. And babies need certain things in their lives. And one of the things that a baby needs is a family. And God knew that a newly born again child of his would need a family to nurture them, to strengthen them, to help them. So he established the church. Because we're not meant to only believe, we're also meant to belong. So we see things in Scripture, like in the book of Acts. Those who were 
who gladly received his word were baptized that day. This is at the end of the day of Pentecost. 3,000 souls were, what's that say, added to them. They were added to the church. They, they joined with the church. Later in the same chapter, it says that they were praising God, having favor with the people. And notice, the Lord added to what? To the church daily. Those who were being saved. You don't actually find in the book of Acts people being saved and not being a part of the church. I mean, it was, it was part and parcel. Those who believed in Jesus joined the church of Jesus. They, they, they committed themselves to being a part of it. God intended for it to be this way. He says, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. It's the manner of some. But exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. See, the closer we get to Jesus' return, the more we need this. The more we need each other, the more we need the worship of God together, the, the exhortation from his word, the encouragement that comes from the fellowship of the saints. God knew that we would need that, that on our own, that we would kind of stray off and off the path. And so he established a church that would stir us up to love and to good works, that would exhort us to stay faithful until the end. And according to the Bible, being a part of the church was so important. The Apostle John made an amazing statement. He said they went out from us. And he's talking about the church. They went out from the church. Why? They were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might be made manifest that none of them were of us. Now, interesting John isn't saying they left the First Free Will Baptist Church of Ephesus and joined the First Southern Baptist Church of Ephesus. What he's saying is they left the church. They just left. They didn't need it anymore. They didn't need the fellowship. They didn't need the encouragement. They didn't need the word. They didn't need what happened there. And so they, they left. But John made a... I mean, I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say that someone who just quit church was never saved to begin with. But John did. In John's mind, and again, this is not his opinion, this is the inspired Word of God. In John's mind, the church was so significant and such a part of life as a believer in Jesus Christ that those who leave the church and have nothing to do with the church demonstrate they were never a part of the church to begin with. They were never truly believers. God's will, God's plan for all of us as believers is that we would belong to a local church. That through that we would receive strength and encouragement and exhortation. And we would, so many things that God would do in us, through us, and for us through the church. Satan doesn't want us to be committed to God's church. So he plays his mind games. I mean, he casts doubt on God's word. Are, are you sure you really need that? I mean... It's just church. I mean, how important is church really? He contradicts God's word. You don't need the church. You can worship God anywhere. He causes us to question God's goodness. Those people at the church, they're all just hypocrites anyway. None of them really live it out. They're all faking it. You don't want to be around them, do you? And if we believe the mind games, we leave the church. It may be that we go from one church to another, to another, to another, to another, to another. A friend of mine pastors down the road from my mom and dad. Well, friend, I've met him a couple of times. I'm a friendly guy. If I meet you a couple of times, you're my friend. Anyway, he... He had a lady that came to their church that told him, she said, and, and she said, he said she was bragging. She said, I'm not a bar hopper. I'm a church hopper. And she said, I'm just here until I get tired of what you do. And then I'm going to go somewhere else. That was, listen, that was mind games. I mean, think about what the, the church is a family. I mean, are we supposed to jump from family to family to family? How weird would that be? I'm going to come stay with Lucas and Lavona tonight and then Red Lavina tomorrow night and I'll be part of them. Then I'll go be with the Babs after that. 
you'd think that is the weirdest person I've ever known in my whole life. That's what happens when we jump from church to church. We're just saying one family, another family, a new family, another family, another family. Satan's mind games. And what happens is, even though we're still maybe in church, but we're just jumping from around, we're never committed, are we? I mean, the key is commitment. It's not just attending church. It's the commitment. We don't receive the encouragement, the fellowship. We, we, we miss out on everything. And by missing out on what God wants and God plans for the church, we miss out on God's plans for our lives. And because of the mind game, Satan thwarts God's plan for our lives regarding his church. God plans for me to be like Jesus. Salvation isn't meant to just change our eternal destiny. Salvation changes everything. I mean, it it brings a... A fundamental, a deep and a fundamental change in our lives. I mean, the Bible talks about hearts being purified, minds being renewed, taking off the old man and putting on the new. I mean, what Jesus does is more than save us from hell. He makes us into something different. Something entirely different than we were before. And this is God's plan. For whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Jesus, Jesus is the goal. Jesus is the ideal of what we're supposed to become. So when God chose to save you, he chose to save you, not just to take you to heaven, but for the purpose that in this life, He could work in you and through you and for you so that you would be like Jesus. We are all to grow in our Christ likeness constantly. Paul said it this way, that all of us have had the veil removed, can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord who is spirit makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image he makes us more and more like him so that we can look and act and be like Jesus and it's a process it's not an instantaneous you pray a prayer boom you're like Jesus I wish it was but it's not in the army we had brass that you had to wear and when you got it it had this thick lacquer on it that gave it a dull sort of shine. But that dull sort of shine wasn't good enough. You had to get the lacquer off. So you got Brasso and you, I mean, you spent hours, didn't you, shining that stuff up. And you shined it and you did it again and you did it again. And, and I mean, just may God have mercy on your soul if it was dull when you went to formation. right? And the way that you knew that it was shiny is you could see yourself in it. But it was a process. You didn't shine it once and it was done. You did it. And then sometimes you might have to let it set for a couple of days and you do it again. And then you do it again. And you do it. And you do it. And you do it. In fact, it was never over. Because once it was shiny, it eventually got dull again and you had to redo it constantly. It's kind of the picture there. There is a constant work that God does in our lives to make us more and more like Jesus. This, This work never ends. I mean, unless you can say you're just like Jesus in your thoughts, in your speech, in your attitudes, in your actions, in the way that you love. Oh, friend, you've got work to do. We have work to do. And that's God's plan. But Satan doesn't want us to be like Jesus. So he he plays mind games. You be like Jesus. You're crazy. There's no way you could ever do that. Now, the Bible says you can. Satan, he casts doubt on God's word. That's just, are you sure? He contradicts God's word. He just, you're, you're just sorry. I mean, you're just, you are entirely too terrible to ever be like Jesus. It's not something that can happen. That's, that may be for other people. But not you. You could never be like Jesus. Or he... He causes us to doubt God's goodness because, I don't know about you, but for me to be like Jesus, there's going to have to be a lot of changes in my life. There there are going to be things that 
that I like that I'm going to have to let go. There are things that, that I, I don't want to do, I'm, I'm going to have to do. I mean, I mean, just think about things like turn the other cheek. Anybody majoring on doing that in their life? Loving your enemies. Not high on my list, but part of what's to come. And so I'm going to have to do things I don't want to do. I'm going to have to let go of things I do want to do. So Satan's going to question God's goodness. Why? Why would God expect you to turn your cheek on that? Why would a good God want you to endure that? But if that makes you so happy, how can God be good if he wants you to let it go? If doing that isn't pleasurable to you, why would good God make you do that? And when we believe the mind games, we leave God's path and we miss out on God's plans for our lives. And it's all just Satan's attempt to thwart God's plans in our lives. Another thing, the Bible says that God plans for me to serve him. We, we, are, we are not meant to just save and to, to be saved and sit. We're meant to save and serve. We've been saved by grace through faith. That's not of ourselves. It's the gift of God. It's not of works. So we can't boast about it. We are all God's workmanship. And we are created in Christ Jesus. Now notice that. For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Before God saved you, He had plans for you. He had things He wanted you to do in service to Him. These aren't things that you would probably do naturally or normally on your own. These are things that you will do because Jesus is your Lord and Jesus is your Savior. These are things that you will do because the Spirit of the living God lives within you. These are things that you will do for the glory of God, the advancement of His kingdom. These are things that you will do outside of your normal routine because that's what God wants you to do. And God planned those things for you. But Satan doesn't want you to live out God's plan for your life. And so he casts doubt. You don't really think God would have a plan for you, do you? I mean, you're a nobody. You come from nowhere. Nobody's going to believe you if you say God wants you to do this. He contradicts God's word. No, God doesn't expect you to serve him. As long as you're basically moral, go to church some, maybe give a little bit. That's all God can expect. Or he'll cause us to question God's goodness. Look how busy you are. Why would God, if he was good, want to add one more thing to your life? Isn't that just going to overwhelm you? Wouldn't that make your life hard? Why would God, if he was good, make your life harder? And if we believe the mind games, we leave God's path. And if we leave God's path, we miss out on his plan. And all of that is just Satan's mind games. He's using to thwart God's plan for our lives. God plans for my marriage to be healthy and strong. I wanted to include this one. It didn't kind of fit with the others, but I wanted to include this one because it's the state of marriages in our country today. Listen, God has a plan, not just for our eternity and our service to him, but just our practical, personal lives. Marriage was really all God's idea. I mean, we didn't look at it, but God created Adam and Eve and he he brought them together. He saw that it was not good for man to be alone. So he he made someone that they would have companionship, that they would be together. Every part of marriage was God's idea. It was established by God. And God has a plan for marriages. I like this verse. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. I mentioned this on Wednesday night a few months ago, but there's something disturbing I found in searching the scripture regarding this. Guys, the Bible never says that she who finds a husband finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. (laughs) Here's what I think. A lot of Proverbs is written by Solomon to his son. And so it's written from the perspective of a dad to a son. That's why it warns against the immoral woman and not just against the immoral person. So I think you could say that Someone who finds a spouse finds a good thing and and obtains favor from the Lord. That's God's plan. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. 
older women should admonish the younger women to love their husbands and to love their children. Marriage is meant to be a good thing. It's meant to be something where we know that we have received favor from the Lord. It's meant to be a relationship built and based upon a mutual love for one another. Not a striving for who's in charge, not a do what I want to do. But a selfless agape love for one another that drives everything and brings glory to God. Satan doesn't want anyone to have a healthy, happy marriage. And so he plays these mind games. He casts doubt on God's word. Are, are you are you sure? I mean, marriage forever, does that even sound right? Fidelity, I mean, come on, can anyone be faithful forever? He contradicts God's word. God doesn't expect you to stay in an unhappy marriage. God doesn't expect you to work hard and be selfless. You just do you what you want to do. And if he or she doesn't go along with it, buddy, that's your ticket out. He cast, causes questions about God's goodness. Why would a good God give me a husband or a wife that acts like this? Why would a good God expect me to stay saddled in this unhappy marriage for the rest of my life? And well, if I believe the mind games, I'll leave God's path. And when I leave God's path, I have missed out on God's plans for my life. And it's all because Satan's mind games thwarted God's plans for my life. And there's more. Um, I had like 15 when I initially made the message, but I knew people wanted to get out of here before tomorrow. But what I want you to think about before we move on is if the Bible says this is how we're to be or this is how we're to do or this is what it's to be like, whether it's freedom and deliverance, grace and peace and goodness and the Holy Spirit, all of that is God's plan. If the Bible says it, this is what we're to do or be. That is God's plan. And whenever God has a plan, Satan has a mind game. And the mind game will cast doubt on God's word. The mind game will contradict God's word. And the mind game will cause us to question God's goodness regarding the plan that we're currently looking at, thinking at, or living out. And if we give in to the mind games, we step out of God's path and we miss out on God's good plan for our lives. Now, the reality is, in ways in which I don't know, probably all of us have given in to the mind games in one way or another. I mean, just in your life, in what ways? Might Satan have played mind games with you and thwarted God's plans for your life? And here's how I want you to think about it. What is something you know the Bible says that you're not doing and you have an excuse as to why it's okay? Why is, is it okay for you to be unkind to this person because of that? Why is it okay for you to do this without grumbling and griping? Why is it okay for you not to be careful about how you speak? Why is it okay for you not to love your neighbor as you love yourself? Why do you not have to do what the Bible says is clearly God's plan for our lives? And whatever that is, that reason you give, that is an excuse from Satan. That is his mind game in your life that you have bought into. And by buying into it, you have stepped out of God's path. And you are missing out on God's plan in your life. There are things he wants to do in you and through you and for you that as long as you're outside of his plan, it's not going to happen. You're going to miss it. I was reading in Jeremiah in my daily Bible reading and God said that there were good things he wanted to do, but their sin caused them to miss out. And in essence, sin is simply being outside of God's plan. 
God had a plan for how they were to live and to be. They listened to Satan's mind game and they stepped outside of it. And there were blessings they missed. There was grace that they missed. There was the power of God in their life that they missed. There were any number of things that God could do and wanted to do in them and through them and for them. But he didn't do. Because they had let Satan thwart God's will for their lives. So what do we do? What do we do if we have allowed Satan to thwart God's plans for our lives through his mind games? Well, one, recognize the mind game. Listen, if Scripture says it, there is not a God-given reason not to do it. There's not a reason to be racist. There's not a reason to be judgmental. There's not a reason to be mean. There's not a reason not to be filled with the Spirit. There's not a reason not to bear the fruit of the Spirit. There's not a reason not to serve God, not to love your wife. There's not a reason not to do anything the Bible says to do. And if there's a reason you have why you don't have to do it, it's a mind game. Recognize it. Acknowledge it as a satanic mind game intended to keep you out of God's will. To thwart God's plans for your life. Recognize it. That's what it is. And once you recognize it, reject it. Reject the mind game. Determine that, you know what? It may be hard. And it may hurt to live it out. But I will not live deceived by the devil. He will not thwart God's plans for my life. He will not keep me from doing what God wants me to do. He will not cause me to doubt His Word. He will not cause me to disobey His Word. He will not cause me to doubt God's goodness no matter what happens. I reject. I reject these mind games. And listen, I'm going to tell you this. This isn't in the Bible necessarily, but it's something I've read. And it's something I've done. The Bible speaks of there being power in the name of Jesus. That at the name of Jesus, people were saved. At the name of Jesus, the sick were healed. The name of Jesus, the the demonized were freed. So man, if you need to work it up to have Jesus to be a part of that, you say, I reject this in Jesus' name. It's a lie from the devil. I've done that. I'm just going to tell you, there is... Power in the name of Jesus to give you freedom from the devil's mind games. You reject it. You renounce it in Jesus' name. And then you repent of believing the mind games. When we believe the mind games, we sin. And that's important. It's always a sin not to do what God has said to do. There's never a reason that's justified in the courts of heaven to disobey God. If God has said to love your wife and you don't, that's a sin. If God has said to serve Him and you're not, that's a sin. If God has said to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ and become more like His Son and you're not, that's a sin. And repent of it. Not with excuses. Not with, but it's this. Not with, but she's that. But it's so hard. For me, this happened. When you repent, you just say, I believe the devil's mind games. And I left your paths. Forgive me of that. And now as much as lies within me, I'm getting back on your path and I'm going to walk in your way. And I'm going to live for your glory in all things. And then you just... All through life, you follow that process over and over and over. Even after you've repented, tomorrow there's going to be an opportunity to to live out God's plan for your life. And there'll be a mind game about why you shouldn't do it. Recognize it. Reject it. If you do it, repent of it. Don't get beat down. Don't give up. Don't stop. Beat down. I can't. I just, I've tried so many times and I can't do it. That's a mind game, friend. Jesus has said you can do all things through Christ who strengthens him. 
That's a mind game. I'm just, I've sinned so much, I can't possibly. That's a mind game. The Bible has said there's no condemnation for you. Don't get beat down. Even when you blow it, just repent and start the process over again. And as you go through life thinking this way, your discernment will grow and you'll be better able to recognize Satan's lies. The more clearly you are able to recognize his lies, the stronger you'll be to reject it out of hand. The less you'll have to repent of the sins you've committed. It is possible to live and to fulfill God's plans for your lives. The stuff the Bible talks about, how we're to live and how we're to be, they're all good. They're all for our good and for God's glory. And they're all doable. There is nothing that God tells us to do that's His plan for our life that He will not enable us to do. But before He will enable us to do it, we have to recognize the mind games that tell us not to. We have to reject them as satanic lies and refuse to give in to them. And then if we have, once we recognize them, we need to repent. And just go over and over and do it again and again in your life. There is freedom. There is joy. There is peace. There is the goodness of God resting on your life regardless of your circumstances. It is possible to live in a way that you would fulfill God's plans for your life. But you can't let Satan play his mind games and thwart that. He can't make you in the end. In the end. This is the hard part. And we'll close. Whether or not you live to fulfill God's plans for your life, it largely rests on you. God isn't going to make you. He's going to show you His path. Satan is going to tell you his mind games and then you're going to choose. You will choose to follow God or you will choose to listen to the mind games. But the life you live, God's plan, not God's plan, is going to rest on the decisions that you make in your life. Determine right now, Satan's mind games will not thwart God's plans for your life. And as much as lies within you, you will do God's will. Let's stand.